with so many podcasts out there, shows can get lost in the shuffle. That's why we implore you to check out Too Many Captains. You can find us at a moviepodcast.com. Five unique takes on Hollywood movies and culture. Find us on Twitter at It's a Film Podcast. Check our intellectual deep dives into theatrical films. Find us on Instagram at Too Many Captains Productions. Unique takes on soundtracks. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Too Many Captains Productions. Find us at a moviepodcast.com on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. And now, here comes a new episode of Collateral Cinema. I'm Bo Maddox. I'm Robert Ortegon. And I'm Smashly Pantsler. And this is Collateral Cinema. Cinema, the only movie podcast that matters, where we focus on good movies, bad movies, and anything else in between in the world of cinema. We're podcasting straight from somewhere in South Texas, and yes, my friends, we are a 420-friendly podcast. So whatever you have, get dabs, blunts, bongs, or joints, smoke it if you got it. And welcome to our annual car movie episode, chosen by Robert Ortegon, right here to my right. How's it going, Robert? Good. How's it going with everybody else? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm good. How about how about you, Ash? I am happy to be here. Happy to be chilling with the bros, talking about Gosling, the Gosling man, the Gosling, the fucking Gosling, Gosling. Yep, that's right. Ryan Gosling in Nicholas Winding Refn's debut feature. Well, not necessarily his debut, but like his mainstream breakthrough, more or less. Drive. This movie was very interesting to me like especially the very first time that i saw it um guys what are your first initial thoughts on this movie i mean i guess we should start with robert because this is the movie that you chose robert so i mean what is this movie what are your what does this movie mean to you and what are your initial thoughts on it you know i thought it was a great movie when it came out i mean it's sort of reintroducing the new 5.0 again with 2011 when it came out you know Oh, yeah. The there, 5.0 Mustang, sorry. Yeah, th- there's all kinds of interesting cars that you at play in here, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, if you're a car guy, I mean, I'm sure you'll notice all the neat cars. Yeah, but this is also a very personal and tragic story, though. I mean, it, it's a story about a man who wants to do right and who wants someone to do right by, and he just ultimately fails. He's a end. shark. He's a shark, exactly. Ash, what are your initial thoughts on this movie? There's a lot of symbolism. And I think a lot of people see this sort of movie as more style over substance. But there is a lot of substance to it, I think. And and just where the direction goes and, and what it represents. There's so much that's not exposed, not told through dialogue. It's just sort of thematically presented. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. And I think a good starting off point 
for as far as the thematic elements are concerned is the soundtrack. Yes. That's a good way to start this whole episode. This soundtrack, just from the moment that the movie begins, it pretty much tells the story in so many ways. I mean, it's ultimately the best form of show don't tell in a way. Like, I mean, from the very, very first song, I mean, I, I think, what, what was that song called? It's Night Something, right? Uh, Midnight Call. I'm Midnight thinking. Call, yeah. yeah. All the way up to uh, Real Hero, Real Human Being. Yeah. They're each used in their subsequent scenes to kind of really tell what's actually going on in the story because there really isn't a lot of dialogue from the main protagonist, that's the driver, Ryan Gosling, or uh, Irene. Like no, I, I think Gosling doesn't really say much of anything at all in the movie besides a few lines, very short. A lot of it is really just expression. In fact, his character doesn't even have a name. He's the driver. Yeah, he's simply the driver. Exactly. And Robert, isn't the driver kind of a character that goes back a little ways in cinema and even in literature? Yeah, it's stories, even uh, just regular, uh, you know, all around uh, I don't know, badass driver, you know? <laughs> Wait a second, that's your character, Robert? <coughs> yeah, that's your character, pretty much, That's right? your character. That's, that's my persona. You're, that's you're, your basically. persona. Yeah. You're the driver, man. Basically. You're the fucking driver, bro. <laughs> Basically. You're Gosling. You're, you're, you're Gosling, bro. You're I do. fucking Gosling. I do have that persona, though. That's what's up. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, yeah, the soundtrack, it has this real kind of 80s synthwave quality to it, which I think was... A really, really interesting stylistic choice. And in a way, this kind of plays a little bit like a... It's, it's like an 80s movie that is kind of through the filter of the 2010s and the 2000s and everything. Yeah. I mean, modernized because... It's very modernized. Of that one in 1980. What was it? it was just called Driver, right? Yeah. Uh, what, what was that movie focused on? What was the story of that movie? Uh, pretty much the same thing that Gosling did. Kind of like a... Just like, try, try to pay off a mobster, essentially? Yeah, just random deals, you know? I mean, he used a, a skeleton key, which he used to boost other cars you know oh wow it okay. was weird because getaway driver by night stunt driver by day slash mechanic by day yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah but man i mean like a great example of of the soundtrack really kind of like not just setting the tone but really telling the story is when the driver takes irene and benicio to that one little uh, waterway, the the water duct or whatever. Yeah, that was cool. That was cool, and and you have that instantly memorable track, a real hero. Which I mean, I love the melody. First of all, it's like real hero, real human being. I mean, and it really conveys both the emotion of that scene, but it also tells the driver's story. And and because he doesn't really have a whole lot of dialogue, in a way, using these songs the way that Refn did, that is the dialogue. It's it's the substitute for the dialogue there. <laughs> I mean, and, and, and that's a very meaningful moment because very nothing is said there at all. I mean, you can see it on Irene's face, on Benicio's face, and on the driver's face. You know, every single emotion that you need to glean from it. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I, I, one thing that I think you were pointing out as we were watching the movie, too, was the way that a lot of the shots were were set, where you've got characters within certain color backgrounds, you know, sort of symbolically demonstrating their positions and, and their roles in the narrative. I, I mean, just when you, when you combine the soundtrack with the cinematography... 
I don't understand how anyone can watch this movie and think it's shallow. Because, I mean, it's just dripping with with symbolism. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a common complaint that's kind of levied against uh, Refn as a director. Yeah, I've heard is, some of that. He's really kind of seen as a style over substance type of director. And, I mean, I can get how people could come to that conclusion a little bit because maybe upon first viewing, like some of the story beats and everything may ring a little shallow, but when you really watch it over and over again, you start to see the composition of the scenes and the way, like, like we said, the soundtrack kind of helps tell the story and substitutes the dialogue in many ways. It, it's just a different way of telling the story and it does so more or less by showing in a way. And it's, it's yeah. really just a different approach to the whole show don't tell ethos, you know? I like that there's there's a reference they make. There's an allusion to to literature, to a, a common folktale, which I actually heard in God of War, the 2018 game. But there's the the, the scorpion and the frog. Have you heard that story? Because they make reference to it. Yeah, it's an old story. Yeah, it's a very old story about how the scorpion uh, gets a ride on the frog's back, says that he won't uh, sting him in the back. And then at the end, he, he still stings him. And the frog says, why did you sting me? And he says, it's just in my nature. And that's so relevant because I think that's the problem with Gosling's character is, you know, he has this ideal life and, and the life that he wants is idealized through his relationship with Irene and Benicio. But ultimately, you know, he's a shark. He's a bad guy, as they, you know, point out at one point in the film. And he, he's got the scorpion on his back, you know, of his jacket. So... You know, it, it's a it's a seed that's planted throughout the film and finally pays off when they make reference to the scorpion and the frog, but they don't tell the tale for you. That's what I like about well, it. It just makes a reference, and if the audience understands that connection, it makes the experience all the more meaningful. And the, and the interesting thing about that is he's the one with the scorpion on his back if you want to tie it back to the tale. Yeah. So in a way, could could you make the argument that maybe the driver is the frog in a way as well? He want, or maybe he wants to be the frog, somebody whose nature is to be helpful. That's a that's a good way to look at it because I I kind of saw him as the scorpion, right? It's in his nature. Well, yeah, that, that's what I'm saying. He's a scorpion, but he wants to be the frog. But he wants to be the frog. Yeah. Yeah. He he wants to be that because I mean that that's really the overall you know part of his character arc is that he's into all this shady shit. He's also a very deeply violent person. He has yeah. he's very angry and very violent and it finally comes out later on in the movie. We'll we'll get to that here in a little bit. But I mean, he wants to be a good person and that that's the significance of of real hero. He wants to be human. He doesn't want to be this monster. And that's juxtaposed with the character of Bernie Ross, who is himself is also a person who's really deep into really shady stuff. And he's also, he has, you know, dirt on his hands. And that's a scene that's kind of referenced in, in the movie whenever he's at the racetrack. I mean, he refuses, the driver refuses to shake Bernie's hand. Yeah. And he's just like, my, my hands are dirty. And then Bernie's just like, well, mine are too. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, it's crazy, too, because you can tell but the, the way the character is portrayed. I mean, he doesn't want 
to do what he has to do. He's kind of like the driver in a sense that he has this idealized version that he of himself that he wants to be. He doesn't want to have to dirty his hands, and, and that kind of shows through the performance. Yeah, and it also, like you said, his relationship with Irene, who is a very, very intriguing character to me. I mean, because yeah. she's every bit as kind of mute as uh, Driver is. I mean, she, she's pretty much almost a female counterpart to him. In a lot of ways, yeah. There's a lot that's unspoken between them. Yeah. But, I mean, going back to Bernie as well, I mean, I really think that Bernie is really kind of the same person as the driver. I mean, he yeah. is somebody who really doesn't want to do what he's doing. He doesn't want to. Like, in the end, whenever everything goes down and all the the money that is laundered and taken... All that, it comes back to Bernie. I mean, you could tell, like, he's mad about being caught up in this. He's like, now I'm going to have to kill these guys. I didn't want to do this. And then he even kills that dude, Chris, who, I mean, we'll talk about the scene with the driver and Chris here in a little bit. But, I mean, he just straight up knifes him and just says to Ron Perlman, now you get to clean up my mess. Yeah. You know, because he's having to clean up Nino's mess because Nino was the one that was trying to launder that money and trying to... You know, because he stole it from a uh, mobster. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, I mean, yeah, let's talk about some of our favorite scenes in this movie. I mean, I'll go ahead and talk about the scene at the strip club. I mean, this is where you really first see how deeply fucked up the driver actually is. That he's pretty much sitting there like, just give me a reason, motherfucker. Give me a yes. reason. He, he wants to. I mean, and, and he has, like, uh, the, the bullet that he left with Benicio, right? And he's about to just hammer it into this dude's forehead. I mean, that that's a scene that I think is really significant. And, and it's interesting that he's surrounded by a bunch of topless women who are just so nonchalant <laughs> about it. Yes, nothing. I was about to say that. Like, it's like they react like they've seen this shit before. Yeah, th like, this, this is, is normal. Th this is like just Tuesday for them. Yeah. Literally. <laughs> but in a way, it's what's interesting is that they're not necessarily sexualized because no. of that. Because they're not showing any real interest in everything, they're, they're more just like bystanders and that's it they're, they're not like there to titillate they're not there just to be like oh hey boobies or whatever they're they're, they're just there to kind of show how you know the world around driver is just kind of you know not there you know they they don't see this don't care saw titties <laughs> god damn it <laughs> No, uh, you know, you're right, though. It's not. Um, it, they're just sort of there. They're a part of the background. They're part of the context. Exactly. And, and you know, of course, in, in that in that particular scene, like like the color, which, uh, you know, Refn uses to full effect throughout this movie, which we'll get into a little bit. It is mostly red and, and he's surrounded by mirrors. I mean, it, he's it's almost like he's being cast in a light that's kind of demonic. Yeah. It's almost like a demon. Now, Robert, what are some of your favorite scenes? Probably the chase scene in the beginning where he's out running the cop. That is actually some of the best fucking writing for an intro yeah. I've ever seen. And then he heads, heads to the Staples Center and then dumps the car. Right? It's actually a great plan. I mean, it, it, it really kind of sets the tone for the movie. It begins the driver's character arc. I mean, it, it tells you everything yeah. about how he works. And then the soundtrack starts. Too. Then the soundtrack starts, yeah. yeah. And then, then it, it gets into a Midnight Call, and you start to see the city skyline and everything. And 
and you see that this is the side of him that operates in darkness. Yeah. 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 Like, there are several shots where Gosling's character is just completely enveloped in darkness. He's a night owl. He's a night owl. But, I mean, it also kind of goes back to him being a demon. He's a creature of the darkness. And because of that, you know, that's why his hands are all dirty. You know, that's why he his hands are stained with by the actions of being a driver for getaways. Yeah. Oh, and the second part. And the second part. Second scenes of this film is uh, the getaway scene in the valley with the pawn shop. Yeah, I mean, I <clears throat> love how that is set up initially. Like, I mean, everything is quiet. There's no music. There's barely any background noise. I mean, you just watch that car kind of pull up, yeah. and that's when you get that first little inkling that something is wrong. Something's wrong, dude. Yeah, so- something is wrong there, you know? Find your surroundings. Exactly. And, you know, Standard, who is Irene's husband, who, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that guy here in a second. He, he gets shot. Man, fuck that guy. Yeah, fuck that guy. He, he was totally flexing on the driver the entire time whenever he was with Irene. Yeah. I know. What a dick. Oh, man. That dude, yeah. Dude was a serious dick. But, I mean, and he tried to come across as nice, and Driver even went ahead and helped him out. I mean, he, he was trying to do that more for Irene than anybody, but, you know, he, he just didn't want anybody to go after them, which, in the end, somebody did come for them. Somebody always comes. Somebody always comes. You're right. Always. Always. Somebody always comes in those instances. But, Ash, what are your favorite scenes? I would have to say that a lot of the actual driving scenes really stand out to me in this movie. I mean, there's there's that one scene where he sort of just pulls in behind the semi and then shuts the lights off and lets the cops move on. And, and, and that's always kind of a fantasy situation that you want to see in this sort of movie. I mean, that's a shot that I had thought about before. And then you're like, bro, it's in this movie. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, yeah, I got to check this out. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, yeah, I enjoy a lot of of the chase scenes and especially where, you know, everything just kind of kicks up a notch towards the end of the movie. I mean, at one point, the violence just comes out and then it's all fast paced action after that point as well. Yeah, I mean, the violence in this movie, it's not especially gruesome, but I mean, it can be kind of shocking, but... It makes sense in the context of the movie. Like, we do see a woman's head get blown off at one time. Blanche, who was part of the robbery. It's very quick. It's very sudden. You know, it's just kind of a flash sort of thing. But it happens all at once, and it comes out of nowhere. So, you know, this movie had at no point before that been violent. No, I mean, it was really just about building the relationship between Irene and Driver and also setting up the antagonist that would eventually kind of, you know, come down on everybody. And, you know, of course, we have Brian Cranston Hell in this yeah. movie. I mean, we got to show some love to Brian Cranston. He's, he's amazing. And in, in this movie, he just plays uh, the dude that sets up most of these heists and most of these getaways, and he provides the cars as well. Oh, right? Malcolm, you're yeah. middle. Oh, this dude right here. <laughs> Robert, uh, what are some of the cars that were in his garage? Like, I mean, he, he had quite a few interesting vehicles in there. See, like uh, a couple of Pontiac GTOs and a few Roadrunners. What else? The getaway car in the beginning where he hands him the keys. That was like one of the new Impalas at that time. Yeah, it, it just yeah. came out like yeah. that year, right? Yeah, one of those years. Probably a little bit before. I remember driving an Impala like that in school for a while. Oh, nice. It was a rental car. <laughs> yeah. Uh, What's your favorite car from this movie? Probably the one or the the 2011 Mustang 5.0. 
Yeah, the one the one that he uh, that he carjacks or, yeah. or that he breaks it into. It looks just like yours, bro. It, it <laughs> looks exactly like yours. I, yeah, that that's is what Robert drives. He has an old black Mustang around that time, and yeah, I mean that's a really cool car that they have. Oh, and his other car, his personal car, it's a 1973 Chevy Malibu. Ooh, yeah. Damn. That, that's a pretty cool little car. He, I think Brian Gosling on the hand picked that car just for the movie. Seriously? Yeah. He, he was just like, no, this is the driver's car right Yeah. Here. And I think John Cusack drove that in the movie, too. Oh, really? Yeah. That, Fuck yeah. That's the same car. That's interesting. I had no idea. But also, I really love the scenes with Irene and Driver. I mean, they just communicate so much through so little between each other. Yeah, that's the cinematography that you were really talking about when we were watching the movie. A lot of the shots were set up. I mean, you were mentioning there's a point where, you know, the driver is sitting in front of the window. So you're getting the nightscape, Los Angeles. By the way, lots of awesome, you know, Los Angeles landscape shots. Yeah. And then, you know, you've got Irene who is in front of a painting. So she's actually surrounded in like this this red or orange, right? Yeah. And that's kind of to symbolize, you know, what the driver is. You know, he's a creature of the night. So, I mean, he's juxtaposed with the night sky. And then with Irene being the ideal life that he wants, being, you know, pretty much what he wishes to basically become a real human. Yeah. Actually be the hero of the story, you know, going back to that song. And I mean, you also see that in a lot of the scenes with Irene in it. It's like like an, an interesting thing that you see whenever they first meet is that there's lots of blues. Blue almost becomes like a representative color for Irene and so does like orange and gold. Because I mean, her hair is gold. She she has she's has blonde hair. Right. So I mean, in in those scenes, you kind of see a little bit of an orangish golden hue, you know. And you notice in the elevator scene when the last time that she sees the driver and he kills that hitman. I was gonna mention the elevator scene because there's so much interesting things going on there with the shadows and with the driver and Irene. You you were getting into it. I remember. Yeah. Like, first you see how, you know, it, it starts off with that gold hue and everything. But soon, whenever, what's violating that is the hitman. And then there's that moment where they kiss where everything kind of just dims a little bit. That's where the dynamic changes. Yeah. This is where, you know, he's going to show his true self. And he stomps the mobster's head in. He stomps <laughs> the hitman's head in, yeah. like, hardcore. Like, Honestly, like when it comes to movie violence, that's my favorite kind right there. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, he just literally stomps this dude's head in and Irene is just shocked. And then things are turned. Irene is kind of juxtaposed with a dark background. And then, you know, the driver is in there with the body surrounded by the golden hue. So, I mean, that's where that dynamic actually changes. Right. And, and then the door closes and, you know, that's that. That's pretty much the last time that they see each other. Yeah, I mean, there is just so much going on in the movie at all times that you don't even really need to be like a true cinephile to understand. I think even, even a casual audience that's not looking at the movie with that cinematic lens is still going to pick up on a lot of that. If I drive for you, you give me a time and a place, I give you a five-minute window. Anything happens in that five minutes, and I'm yours, no matter what. I don't sit in while you're running it down. I don't carry a gun. I drive. 
Have you just moved to LA? No, I've been here for a while. What do you do? I drive for movies. Not dangerous. It's only part time. You put this kid behind the wheel. There's nothing he can't do. Dad, I want you to meet Mr. Bernie Rose. My hands are a little dirty. So am I. My husband is coming home. Where is he? He's in prison. There's some guys that want me to do a job for him, and I'm not going to do it. What is that you got there? One of those men gave you that? What's the job? When you get your money, his debt's paid. You never go near his family again. second car? You said there would be another car to hold us up. Whose money do I have? I'm gonna tell you something. Anybody finds out we're both dead. That's why this driver's gotta go, Bernie. He's gotta go. testament to what Refn was doing here you know he he was taking you know an art house movie and making it kind of accessible in a way exactly that's what I'm talking about yeah it's kind of like a very it's like it's like an, an art style movie of a mainstream movie market you know yeah now the movie he did after this only god forgives it's kind of the inverse of that it's more of a dense art movie yeah. you know it's more impenetrable and it's actually a very polarizing movie, which we will have to do on this podcast very soon. Because a lot of lots of foreshadowing in that. Lots of foreshadowing. Oh, tons of foreshadowing. Tons of like it's climaxes or yeah. actual, actual climaxes. Yeah, and also just the production values there. Which, by the way, going back to the production values of Drive, and you know, once again, the use of color and everything. I mean, you, you can also see whenever you're in uh, Gino's Pizza, it, it, it's not what you would call a really homey restaurant feel, you know? In fact, you you almost never see it with uh, customers. It's, it's almost always with Bernie and Gino. Yeah, even early on in the scene with Shannon, you know, it's it seems to just be them there. I don't really see any customers in the background or... Yeah, and everything is very dimly lit in there. there, and there's very hues of brown and gray almost. It's I mean, lifeless. It, yeah, it, it's it's a very lifeless background, and it kind of is meant to symbolize, you know, what these guys are into. That place is stained by what they're doing, by being a front for their operation. And then that scene where uh, the driver puts on the mask and kills Gino, you do see it lit up a little bit. It's kind of different, and that's because you don't have Bernie there. Like you have Gino there, but I mean, without you mean Gino? Nino, Nino, 
Yeah, sorry, he was Nino. <laughs> he kept saying Gino, and I was like, wait a second, that's not it. That's not it? Okay, I'm sorry, I'm mistaken, it was Nino. Uh, My bad. Nino. Ron Perlman. Ron fucking Perlman. Can we just give him a hand for did this movie? I, why yeah. did they even why did they even consider doing a Hellboy movie without him or I Del don't Toro? Fucking no, man. <laughs> it should have just been Hellboy 3 like Del Toro wanted. You know, you need to reboot it. Even if you're gonna reboot it, at least use Ron Perlman. Come on. Come on, man. They could have used Ron Perlman and that movie would have just been all the better for it. But Ron Perlman in this movie, oh man, he is just on fire. Right, Robert? Like when he's in the garage the first time and he's like, now that car right there. Well, that car. That's a pussy magnet motherfucker. Well, if you think he's on fire in this, I mean, he's literally on fire in Hellboy. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I'm sorry. I had, to, I, had to, I had to sneak that one in. No, but you're right. I mean, he delivers a very menacing performance. I actually saw him as more of an antagonistic force than Bernie up until the point where Nino is killed. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Bernie is the final boss, you could say. But when it comes to villains, I mean, uh, Nino was a much more villainous character. Yeah. And well, it goes back to that whole reluctance that Bernie exhibits throughout the whole movie. Yeah. I mean, you can kind of tell that he would much rather be doing like legitimate work. Honestly. And, and that's why he acts like a foil to Gosling's character, because they're very similar. They have parallel situations, but, you know, maybe he's what Gosling could become. And, you know, at least from his point of view, you know, he's a he's a uh, the driver is just a younger version of him. But, you know, yeah. for the driver, he hopes to maybe not be that to get away from that lifestyle. And and it's left ambiguous. I mean, the movie ends with him driving off to the sunset, assumedly doesn't want to, you know, spread that violence around Irene and Benicio. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he realizes that, you know, he is forever going to be the shark. So he needs to just swim away. That's just how, how it is. You know, it has to be that way. And, and, that's, and that's compounded in that elevator scene. It's very um, realist. Yeah, it's very, very realistic. It's like that's how these types of relationships can go. I mean, you you really just want them to be together so badly. Even when Standard comes around. I mean, the, yeah, that dude is such a douche about all of it. Yeah, and props to both the, the writing and the performances that being able to illustrate a chemistry with barely any dialogue between the two characters. Yeah, it's it's amazing chemistry, honestly. I mean, it kind of, you know, reminds me of some people I know in real life, even. Yeah. You know, I Irene and, and even uh, the driver. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> right here. I never needed to. Did you ever find your Irene, Robert? I've never needed to say too much either. Did, did you ever find your Irene, Robert? No, there's plenty of Irene's out there. All the, <laughs> there's lots of Irene's in the sea? Did you ever find your Benicio? Yeah, Shark Week's all week long, so. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> the, the, shark Week. No, it's all week long, guys, dude. Wait, wait, wait. Is the little boy that you want to take care of, is, is that Dakota? No. Nah. <laughs> Dakota, I don't know. Maybe he could be the guy on the couch. I don't know. No, no D Dakota needs to be the new uh, Macaulay Culkin in our uh, Home Alone reboot. No, I was going to turn Dakota into the new Point Break. To the new Point Break? Yeah. <laughs> he could be the new John or Johnny Rico or what's, what was his name? Uh, Utah. New Johnny Utah. Johnny Utah. What the fuck, man? Maybe really? could, yeah, the new Jax Jax Taylor from, you know. Oh my god. <laughs> Sons of Energy. Fucking Robert. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, but Dakota, yeah, you need to be in one of our movies, bro. You just totally need to be. But anyway, back to the Back to the Gosling. Back to the Gosling. 
with Rachel McAdams, been better with them than since she was in the notebook with them. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. She's too busy with her mean girls. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I don't know if any of this that's gonna be usable, but anyway, I don't know. Let's just get into final thoughts. Let's make this a short episode. No, okay. it's a driver. It's a driver? It's a driver, dude. It's a driver, okay. Is there gonna be a part two? Uh no. What'd you guys think of what was it? The one with Selena Gomez and Ethan Hawke. Oh, what <clears throat> the fuck is that? It was uh the getaway, dude. The getaway. Yeah. Oh, that was a terrible movie. I mean, the car scene was pretty awesome, but uh, as far as the acting went, I don't know. Selena Gomez. It would have been better if if uh, Ethan Hawke just drove by himself, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, let, let, yeah. Let, let's talk about other Driver movies real quick, man. Like, how, how about that movie Drive Angry? Oh. Yeah, yeah, Nicolas with, Cage with movie. Nick Cage, with those Chevelles and that Charger, dude. Yeah. Oh, holy shit, that man. That was badass. Yeah, that, that's going to be a movie that we got to do like sometime soon, man. Because, I mean, Drive, Drive Angry has kind of become a little bit of a cult hit, actually. Yeah. And that's not Cage's only car movie. We we did uh, Gone, in Gone, 60 60 Gone in 60 Seconds. exactly. Because yeah. we talked about the original H.B. Uh, Halicki's version. Yeah. yeah, and that's actually a pretty popular episode. We appreciate everybody listening to it. Appreciate every one of those downloads. Every one of them, yeah. I mean, and we try to bring a car, like we try, we try to bring a car episode to the podcast as much as we can. It's a car movie at once a season, yeah. At least once a season, it's a thing. But it's next, Robert's thing. Next episode, we got another car movie. So, oh, oh yeah, oh yeah. we got Burt Reynolds now. Burt Reynolds, fucking Reynolds. Yeah. yeah, we may as well talk about that. Yeah, we're going to do Hooper. Hooper, the greatest stuntman alive. The greatest stuntman alive, man. Hooper is a great movie, honestly. It's it's very old Hollywood, and <laughs> I am, I'm actually looking forward to that one. But, yeah, let's go ahead and give our final thoughts on this movie. Robert, you're the one who uh, brought this movie to the podcast. Like, in, At the end of the day, I mean, what do you think this movie is really trying to say? I think that Nicholas Reference owes me some money because he stole my life, and, <laughs> you know... <laughs> I, th- I think I think I need to be compensated for that. You yeah. know, I, no, I think I need my royalties. And another quick question: What other uh, Reffin movies have you seen other than Only God Forgives? Probably just the two. Honestly, we yeah. need to check out some of the other movies of his. I have I have the Neon Demon, and I also have Valhalla Rising, which stars Mads Mikkelsen. He also did the Pusher trilogy. Yeah, the P- Pusher trilogy is very interesting. Too old to die young. Yeah. And I mean, the Neon Demon—that's pretty much his horror movie. Yeah, that'd be yeah. interesting. I'd like to see what he would what he would do, could do with like atmospheric horror. Oh, it, it's it's really really atmospheric and almost you know I I don't want to say straight Kubrickian, but you know okay. it's it, it's kind of its own level. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, it's like it's like the poor man's Kubrick. <laughs> poor man's Kubrick. Oh man, I, I'm sure he would appreciate that. <laughs> No, no, it's good. It's just, it's a little more mainstream, I guess. I don't know how how else to put it. (laughs) Yeah, in a way, he's almost... More accessible. I think you put it the right way. He's accessible. I I would say that Christopher Nolan is the casual uh, moviegoer's idea of a all-tour director. Yeah, I would agree with that. And and, and before him, like, Steven Spielberg was kind of like that. True that. You know? But, I mean, Refn is accessible, but he also... I mean, like I said, he has a lot of his own detractors, like lots of detractors, really. And a lot of it really starts with Only God Forgives. I mean, uh, people were very receptive to this movie. 
especially, you know, with the characterization and everything. Oh, you'll like Only God Forgives, man. I was about to say, I mean, I heard, a, I think a lot of his movies seem to be polarizing, but I, I was wondering, like, what's the critical consensus on this? I think it was it was fairly well received, right? It, it was very well received, yeah. actually. You know, okay. I mean, it wasn't award winning or anything, but, you know, critically speaking, I mean, people liked the char- like I said, they liked the characters. I mean, there were some uh, complaints about the style over substance thing. You know, but but I feel like if you're saying that, that's not really a valid complaint. It really isn't. It's kind of like most of the complaints I hear about The Last of Us Part Two. It's like if if that's your complaint, you really didn't understand what you were what you were reading or, or watching or playing. You know, <laughs> I would say so. And li- like I said, this movie has many ways of telling its story. You know, it, it's it's multifaceted. I mean, still accessible, you know, to where people who are casual can kind of get it, at least the yeah. gist of it, you know. But, I mean, it still has a good artistic sensibility. And, honestly, I would like to see Refn make some more movies. I mean, Neon Demon came out a while ago. But, I mean, maybe maybe get him with, like, A24 or something. Maybe they can do something interesting. I mean, they, they've been doing stuff with, like, Robert Eggers and Ari Oster. I mean, maybe they can kind of take him and mold him into something interesting, you know, or like give him, give him more reign over his next, uh, his next movie. Who knows? It could be something really interesting. Like Robert was going to mold Dakota into something interesting. Oh, right. Yeah. Right. Damn. Yeah. You were going to make him a star, right? I was going to mold him in the greatest, <laughs> into the greatest thing. Mold him. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. We were going to take him like my protege. He was going to be my Mark Hamill, you know, he was going to be your Mark Hamill. <laughs> and what you were going to be the George Lucas. I was going to be a, a visionary, a visionary, no, bro. Obi-Wan, older Obi-Wan, trying to mold Mark Hamill into a oh. young Jedi. You know? Okay, oh, wow. so you're Alec Guinness. There you go. Oh, shit. <laughs> no, no, no. Better yet, he's Qui-Gon. I was trying to give Dakota new, new hope, you know? He was trying to give, give him hope? New hope. A new hope. See, yeah, you're Liam Neeson and, and Dakota's young Anakin. There you go. That's what's up. Jake Lloyd. And you're, you're Qui-Gon Jinn. Qui-Gon Jinn doesn't meet Anakin, does he? Oh, yeah, yes. he, he meets him early on, but he doesn't see him grow up. That's right. Nope. Yeah. It's been a while since I've seen the prequels, which, by the way, we may as well go ahead and confirm are go- is going to be pretty much the first two episodes of next season. Hell yeah. Yeah, that's right, ladies and gentlemen. We are doing the prequels, Star Wars. You want to open it, up with that, make that our premiere? Yeah, that's going to be our premiere. We may as well make that the first two episodes. Hell yeah. And then, and then do the Halloween episode after that. Hell yeah. I, we're coming up on the end of this season. Yeah, yeah, we're we're already going to be winding down the season. I think we have like three more episodes left. That's going to be Hooper. That's going to be the next car movie that we are going to do, and then we're going to do Star Trek Beyond. Hell yeah, yeah, that, which is going to be interesting. I mean, we talked about a old school Star Trek movie. Was it last season? Last season we did the Voyage Home, and we, I, I I set it up that way on purpose. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to check him out. I mean, I haven't really seen the J.J. Abrams Star Trek movies. So. Honestly, I think you guys need to watch from the beginning. Like, watch the other two movies before you come into this one. Oh, so we're going to have to watch a whole trilogy. Oh, fuck. God oh, damn it. Oh, don't <laughs> act like that's hard. Oh. Y'all watch movies all the time. That's all you do. The scary ones. The scary ones, yeah. Y'all watch the same movies that you always watch. <laughs> Gotta challenge yourself, bro. Hey, we also uh, look at all the movies I have. You want to talk about challenging myself? We're also into the TV. Want to talk about challenging myself? TV series. I, I have fucking trauma. I have fucking requiem for a dream here. <laughs> Tell, talk to me about challenging. Now the asylum and trauma and full moon. 
There we're, we go. We're kind of yeah. we're kind of busy on stuck on those. Yeah, we we actually watched an asylum movie last night that actually wasn't really half bad. Yeah, it was called, called Abducted, right? I think I just want to get more asylums. Yeah, more asylums, more full moon. Yeah. Hell yeah, man! Stack them all up. Stack them all up. Like I, I have my shit stacked up. I mean, look behind you, yeah. Ash. You got Desert Island Classics. Uh huh. I got all kinds of cool shit up there. Couple honestly, of box sets. Yeah. Double features. But I guess my final thoughts on Drive, starring Ryan Gosling. It, it, it's a very illustrative movie, very visual, I think, but also auditory, I guess, you know, in terms of the soundtrack. But um, I mean, really, it's the motifs that yeah. carry the film. Yeah. And I, I had a lot of good experience with with that and, and, and with being able to watch this film. In fact, it was it was nice to be able to approach the story casually but focus on the thematic elements you know through that critical lens so i mean i think i just kind of gave my final thoughts more or less right but i mean i guess the best way to kind of add to that is give nicholas refin a chance people i mean he may not be the most you know intellectually deep filmmaker out there I mean, he, he's no he's no David Lynch, that's for sure. But then nobody's yeah. David Lynch. Right? But, <laughs> but, you know, he still has something to say in his movies. He has something to say there. And it's, it's fair enough. I mean, his movie Bronson was actually, that's another movie that's really interesting. That Tom we sh- Hardy, yeah. Yeah, with Tom Hardy. I mean, he, he got a, not, not only a great uh, presentation and setup for the narrative, but also a great performance out of Tom Hardy. Right, which which was uh, looking at a uh, person who was real. I mean, a, a, a prisoner who was real, Charlie Bronson. Charlie Bronson. I mean, yeah, look, look him up. He he was fucking crazy. <laughs> Didn't really kill anybody, from what I understand, but he was fucking crazy. But yeah, I mean, Refn is good. It's like don't look down on him or anything like that. He, if you get over some of the little hiccups here and there, he's compelling enough. Sure. You know, I have plenty of his movies in my collection. I will watch them anytime. And it's it's good. You know, that, that that's just the best way that I could really wrap that up. So uh, what's going on with Collateral Gaming, Ash? Oh, hell yeah. Well, we're going to be talking about Dead Space. That's going to be our next numbered episode. And if you haven't checked it out already, uh, by the time this is out, our uh, spoiler-free game launch episode on Resident Evil Village should be out. So, big titty goth lady, big titty goth lady, oh, tell vampire Lord. lady, mommy. Oh God, <laughs> what did you do, Capcom? What did you do? Oh wait, that was just my Google history. Oh God, <laughs> or DuckDuckGo search history. Sorry, I don't use Google. <laughs> Yeah, so Collateral Gaming is coming out with that, and we are also doing our bonus round episodes, and we got a Patreon, and Collateral Cinema has a Patreon as well. Exactly. We have movie commentaries there mainly, though if we start getting more patrons eventually, uh, we'd like to start doing more more pertinent content, I would say, you know, more like... You know, maybe special movie reviews or special Q&A episodes or whatever, like just for the Patreon uh, subscribers and everything. And you could also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Like, help us get to 5,000 followers on Twitter, everybody. Hey. 
Like once we, once we get by that threshold, we could start following a lot more people a lot easier. And we'll expand that Patreon content. Our, our next thing, ready? It's going to be audio podcasts, very special audio podcast, but we're in the nude. Oh, wow. You can't see us, but we're in the nude and you're listening to us. What's the fucking point then? I don't know. It's on our OnlyFans. <laughs> what's, the, what's the point? <laughs> There's no point to that. It's going to be our OnlyFans content. Let's do it. Oh wow! So we're gonna we're gonna release uh, podcast only fans content. Maybe we could do porn reviews, <laughs> porno reviews. Oh well, then we'd just be doing cinema snob shit. Then. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, right. Shit. Oh my god, we we may as well do uh, Strokemon or something like that. <laughs> or, the, or, or the room porn parody. The room porn parody. Oh, maybe we Strokemon. should just go ahead and do that sometime. I feel like Let's it needs do to be it. done. Wait, maybe we should just do it. Fuck it, right? <laughs> just do it. Just fucking do it. Three, three, three guys watching a porno together. There's nothing wrong with that. Oh, no. Nothing wrong with that at all. Especially if it's anything related to the room. Which, you know, people tend to really like from us. So, may as well give them more content there. Tommy Wiseau is the patron saint of Collateral Cinema. And Greg Sestero. And Neil Breen is our god. Yes, Neil Breen is our god. Should we have our own screening of the room? Maybe we should. Buttercreaming is our religion, With and the, yes, we should. We totally should, yes, and buttercreaming is totally our religion. Get a projector, religion. get a big old screen, dude. Yeah. Let's do a watch party. Well, maybe we should ah. do a big watch party. Maybe Slash on, drinking game. Maybe, maybe on Twitter we should do a watch party or something. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised we haven't had a watch party yet, though. Yeah, maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's time that we do that. But anyway, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, YouTube, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Once again, follow us on Twitter please and please help us get to 5,000 followers we will be able to actually follow more people and give you better content hopefully we'll be 5,000 followers and we'll do a watch party yes 5,000 5, followers we'll do a watch party of the room exactly go. like get, get us to 5,000 followers we do a watch party and we will just have fun with everybody that shows up I don't care if it's like just 5 people we'll have a blast <laughs> yeah. I don't care yeah if those 5 people are going to have a good time yeah, they're going to have a great time. But yeah, with all of that said, I'm Bo Maddox. I'm Robert Ortegon. And I'm the passenger. The passenger. <laughs> and this was Collateral Cinema. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for Hooper. Oh, and also stay tuned for new Director's Cut content coming very soon. It's going to be quite interesting, y'all. Laters. Bye.
Collateral Cinema is an L Company production. All music and movie clips are owned by the respective creators and are used for educational purposes only. Please don't sue us. We're poor.